Radio. How He Thirsts for Us. A talk by Jess Leach at the Immaculate Mission School 2013, held at St Thomas Beckett Parish in Lewisham, Sydney. Because he knows us. He knows us intimately. I've said, I said this last night. He, he knew each of you before he made the world. You were already a thought in the mind of God. We're not accidents. I, I grew up really thinking that I was, I was a coincidence. You know, my, my existence was an accident. You know, that, well, mum and dad loved each other very much. Uh, and therefore, ergo, here I am. Um, but that's not the truth. You know, the truth is that God desired my existence. And he desired the existence of humanity. He didn't have to create Adam and Eve. You know, God is in himself complete, perfect, total. He didn't have to make humans. But his love overflowed out of him gratuitously. And he gave the human race life. And not just life, not life like the animals or the plants or not some sort of shell-like existence where we are biological realities. But he gave us an eternal soul and imprinted himself on that so that you, Gerard, are made in the image and likeness of God. Lucy, you want to turn to Gerard and say, you're made in the image and likeness of God? Amen. Because that, that is why, that is why each of us deep down in our hearts knows, we know, we know deep down there is something special about our existence. I remember talking to a woman once on a train and she, she couldn't accept the idea of God. And when I said, you know, God didn't make us for 40 or 60 or 80 years of happiness. He made us for eternal happiness. She started crying because she knew in her heart she wanted to live forever. She knew in her heart that there was something special about her. That she's made in the image and likeness of God that each of us is. As Mother Mary Therese said last night when she was sharing about the meaning of life, that unity that we had with God in the beginning, that he created us for, to be united, was broken with the first sin. And that sin was really a sin of mistrust in the love of God. Does God really love me? Well, I'm not sure. So I'm just I'm going to take things into my own hands. I'm going to do this thing. Even though he told me I shouldn't, I'm going to do it because, you know what? Surely he doesn't love me that much. Like, surely... Surely he doesn't love me totally. Surely there's, there's something missing in his love. And there was that rejection of the love of God which drove us apart from him. But God never gives up. God never stops. So who here, raise your hand, if you are aware that we as Christians have some big brothers in faith called the Jewish people. Excellent. Okay. That's good. So God chose a people to be his own. He chose the Jewish people to be his own. 
and they were nothing. They were really nothing. They were, they, they were inconsequential. But he chose them so that he could prove his faithfulness and so that he could call from them a Messiah to save the world. But it was a hard road for God and the Jewish people. Because of the hardness of heart, which comes through sin, because sin kills us. There's a spiritual death, a hardening of our heart that comes through sin. And that hardness of heart made it so hard for there to be a trust, to be a love for God in the days of the Old Testament. Okay, so I want you to imagine you're a faith, well, God, God, is, God is faithful, God is ever loving, God has never abandoned his people, but they just can't trust him. And again and again, there's a turning from God. And so the law is given. The law is given for faithfulness. But it's a law of externals, a law of actions. In a sense, God needs to fulfill that law. So I want to read from Ezekiel chapter 37. This was actually the first reading at the opening mass of World Youth Day Sydney. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me round among them. And behold, there were very many upon the valley, and lo, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. Again he said to me, Prophesy to these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live. And you shall know that I am the Lord. So that's Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 to 6. And then, moving on to verse 11. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are clean cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you home into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land. 
Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it, says the Lord. This was a people thirsty for salvation. They thought that they were thirsty for the salvation that comes through human kingship, through political success, through land and economic security. But the prophets kept preaching that what they were thirsty for and what we really know we're thirsty for is God and to live with him and to love him. And so he makes this promise to his people. In Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it upon their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. The previous covenants had been external. For example, the sign of circumcision, an external sign. Here God is saying, I'm going to write the law on your hearts. This covenant is going to transform you from within. And if the wages of sin are spiritual death and bodily death, then he intended to transform us from within to give us life, spiritual and bodily life. I can't remember who said this, but before Our Lady conceived Jesus in her womb, she had conceived him in her heart. Mary knew the scriptures and she longed for the coming of the Messiah. Longed for salvation. What greater love could there be than a God who sees that his people need the transformation of their hearts, need, need life and life to the full and chooses to give that life through the gift of his own self. This is the love of the incarnation. There is no greater love than the fact that our Lord took human form, that God became flesh. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, 
being born in the likeness of men. It's really not a perfect analogy, but just imagine there was a colony of ants, and to save that colony of ants, you had to become an ant. I wouldn't do it. That's really crazy. You know, Jesus, eternal, has existed for all time, chooses to enter into human reality by taking a body and human nature so that the one who saves us is fully divine but also fully human. I mean, God didn't have to do it that way. God's God. He can do whatever he wants. He didn't have to be incarnate as a tiny embryo, as a, as a single cell in the womb of Mary. He could have shown up at the age of 30 and done whatever he wanted to do. He's God. He chose this. It's a choice. It's a free act of love. And it is the distinctive sign of our Christian faith. No one else believes this. Others believe maybe in there being a God or one God. We share the same belief as the Jews in God. But nobody else believes that God became man. It's actually kind of crazy. Like really, it's like if you think about it, it's, if it's not true, if that's not true, then, well, it was a scandal to the Jews, a scandal, and folly to the Gentiles. That makes no sense to someone who doesn't believe in God. So if it's not true, it's total madness to think that. That's why there's a gift of faith. It has to, we have to receive that from God. Our reason our reason is crucial and our faith is reasonable. But we also have to receive it as a gift. To accept the mystery of one who loves us so much and doesn't need to. The Catechism of the Catholic Church. We actually, I think we may have some catechisms available for sale later. But the Catechism of the Catholic Church outlines very clearly the Incarnation and the reason for the Incarnation. So the first is to save us by reconciling us with God. We couldn't do that ourselves. Like no, no amount of effort on any of our parts could reconcile us with God. Only God could make that act of reconciliation. Yeah, that's great. Okay, so it's like God's up here and we're down here. And all the striving, all the striving in the world wouldn't allow us to reach up to God. He's God. So God chose to come down to draw us up. One of the early church fathers said, God became man so man could become God, so we could be divinized, so that we could have eternal life, sharing the life of God. 
So Christ, God, gave himself to us because we couldn't do it ourselves. He became flesh so that we might know God's love. God's love, yes, totally in the crucifixion. God's love in the act of becoming a helpless little baby. God's love in pouring himself out. God's love in the hidden family life of Nazareth and in those three years of ministry when he said, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You know, for three years, he just went and went and went, rarely sleeping, praying all the time, meeting people where they were at, entering their homes, feeding thousands, healing the multitudes. When we think of love, we can think of someone who's always there for us, someone who we know, but if we had something go wrong, we could pick up the phone and they'd be there as soon as they had to be. I heard an amazing testimony recently about a young woman who's from a Catholic background but had fallen away from her faith. And she was living in New York as a model, living with her boyfriend, partying, great life, but very empty. And she had an encounter with Jesus and suddenly she knew that she had to change. So she called her dad and she said, Daddy, you don't come and get me, I'm going to lose my soul. And he said, baby, of course I'll come and get you. And he got in the car and he drove 3,000 kilometres across the United States of America to get to her. Because that's the love, that's love, to pour oneself out. And that was the way that Christ lived his life on earth. His disciples, they were in the presence of pure love. It's not a coincidence that 11 of the 12 disciples were martyrs. Because when you've been around love like that, you're ready to give everything. (coughs) He wanted to show us the love of God. He became flesh to be our model for holiness. that you and I are called to be holy, to be saints. It's not precious to say that. It's not, you know, we're not, um, there's nothing wrong with saying we are called to be holy. In fact, that is why Christ has set us free to be holy. To have the freedom, the freedom to become who we're truly meant to be. And he is our model of holiness. That model of love, of self-gift, that model of prayer, that model of truth. That he always spoke the truth. And that he always loved and that he always forgave. That's holiness. You know, what was the difference between St. Peter and Judas? They both denied Christ. They both rejected him. But Peter came back and asked for forgiveness. And he must have known that the love of Christ would would be so great, so infinite, so uncontainable that it would forgive. Because Peter had said, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother? 
seven times? And Jesus said, 70 times seven. You know, infinitely to forgive. Our model of holiness is a model of love. And finally, the word became flesh to make us partakers of the divine nature. For this is why the word became man, and the son of God became the son of man. So that man, by entering into communion with the word, and thus receiving divine sonship, might become a son of God. I shared a little this morning about my background and that I didn't really know my faith or anything like that. And I'd often thought that maybe we were guinea pigs, like some sort of pet for God, you know? He was a bit bored one day and thought, I'll make these people. Because I didn't know why else that would be. And then I heard the words of Ephesians from chapter 1. Thus he chose us before the world was made to be holy and faultless before him in love, marking us out as adopted sons in Jesus Christ. And as we heard in the reading yesterday, if we are sons, then we are heirs. That's why we can cry, Abba, Father. That's why Christ teaches us to call God our Father. Because he is asking us to become one with him, the Father, and the Spirit. To be divinized, to be sanctified, to be called to heaven. You are an heir. <laughs> if we are called, if we're called to heaven, then everything changes. You know, everything is different if we're called to heaven. And our our path to heaven starts and ends and is totally complete in Jesus Christ, in the incarnate word. Because he said, not I'm one of the ways, or I speak the truth, or I'll give you life. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So the person of Jesus is what we need to be steeped in. His words in the Gospels. I had the great blessing to be in France recently and to pray by the tomb of Mary Magdalene. If you ever, if you want me to tell you later about how they know it's really her tomb, you can come and ask me. It's a great story. But basically, I'm praying by the tomb of Mary Magdalene, and I was reflecting about how she she went to France with Lazarus and Martha. You know, these people who had known and walked with Jesus. They went to France, and she went and lived in a little cave. And in the morning she'd pray, and then in the afternoon she'd come down and she'd evangelize. And I was thinking, you know, how is it that she had, like, just could do that? She, she could evangelize so much. She just wanted to preach about Jesus. She just wanted to be all about Jesus. And I realized, well, because she walked with him. You know, she really walked with him. And by leaving us the blessed sacrament, the Eucharist, his body and blood, and by giving us his words in the scriptures, God allows us to walk with Jesus. You and I can walk with Christ. We can truly know him. And I don't mean like a buddy. I don't mean like some domesticated, nice, you know, 
hippie who's going to tell us all to be really nice to each other. I don't mean like that. We can't domesticate the Lord Jesus Christ. He was God. And Father Robert Barron refers to that text in Mark that the disciples went behind him and they were amazed and afraid. We should be in awe. And then we should be doubly in awe that God, Christ, would become one of us and would call us on, would call us on all the way to heaven, to sharing in the life of the Trinity in heaven. The awe at God and the awe that God would become one of us. This is the foundation of our faith. And that awe needs to translate into love into transformation. And we might, the more we think about it, we might just start to think, oh, how can you contain that? Like, that truth, that's so overwhelming. How can that be contained? And the answer is, it can't, and that's the saints. The saints are the ones who couldn't contain it because they received and received and received. They couldn't contain it. Mary Magdalene couldn't contain it. She'd go all the way to France and live in a cave and keep preaching. You know, Maximilian Colby couldn't contain it. He knew the love of God so much that he stepped out of a line in a concentration camp and said, I'll die instead of that man. So he could spend those next two weeks with the other condemned men starving to death, praying with them, hearing their confessions. Therese Lazure, she couldn't contain it. She had to love every person that was put in her path and give that little gift, all that she had, totally. So if that love, that love for the incarnate word, that love for the truth of what God has done for us and the plans that he has for us, if that is going to overflow in in us, overflow out of us, that's how we become saints. Not by... Not by anything other than total centeredness in Christ and in the love of God poured out in the incarnation. Thank you. That was Jess Sledge with How He Thirsts for Us. For more talks from the Immaculate Mission School 2013, visit cradio.org. Don't you?